0: Nick at Night is a production of Council Communications.
1: Good evening everybody. Welcome to the Naked Night show. Have we got a ton of stuff to talk about tonight. You know, I almost feel like a nudist in a mosquito colony. No, wait, that's backwards. A mosquito in a nudist colony because there are so many places to start. Um Let me start, you know, what excuse me The one thing that has always driven me crazy, and I do mean out of my mind crazy, like just I don't know where to, yeah, we'll get into Cotter. Don't worry about that. Good Lord. There's, uh, I'm just looking for the right story. I had it pulled up earlier. Uh, there's a story today. I thought I had it. No, really. I thought I did. Um, now you have to forgive me because my laptop has been giving me grief for a good chunk of the day, but I'm hoping that it'll, it'll uh, work out in the long run. Um, story today in the, uh, in the sun. And there was a couple of them. One was about a 91 year old woman who a- ended up with uh, a severe infection in her hip. Uh, there was an abscess and she had to go and have that checked out. And they took her to the doctor's office and she had to pay out of her pocket 67. I believe the number was 67 $67. In cash. The reason was her red and white health care card did not work. Now, what made the story remarkable was that red and white health care cards do not carry expiry dates. She'd used it just a few weeks before to buy prescriptions for the very infection she was there to have treated. And I'm not blaming the health care clinic that she was visiting at the time. I mean, it's one of these things where... It's kind of like you know, it's healthcare clinics, like doctors' offices, are businesses, and they have to get paid. That's how they stay in business, so they're there the next time you need them. Okay, it's not like you know the civic hospital, something like that. Um, what we have here is a situation where the government thought the woman was dead and canceled her healthcare card, which was absurd. Because obviously the woman's not dead. Now I know his mistakes get made, and in isolation, maybe it's not that big a deal. I mean, it is certainly to the family. No arguing there. But then in another story, and there's one in the paper, and there's one uh, personal account um, on my that I posted on my Facebook page. Uh, let's see if I can pull that up. Uh, it's right here. It is. This is by uh, who pasted this? Paste this. Uh, Valerie uh, McDonald told a story of while she was over at McDonald's, the fast food restaurant, encountered uh, uh, an older gentleman who was confused, just lost. And she tells the story of everything that happened to him. And it's not a pretty picture. I won't read the whole thing, but suffice it to say, she went to help the old man. He he was not unsure of surroundings and things like that. She was going to buy him a sandwich because he was hungry. And then she called the old folks home from where he was from, and and the nurse said, "Oh, don't worry about him; he'll walk home." And no, 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 he's not walking home," she said. Well, uh, well, let me see if I can, uh, let's see if I can get to that part in the story. Uh, let's see. Uh, so I asked the man if he's hungry and can I buy him a, a sandwich, and and uh, he said yes. So he asked her where he was from. He told her he called. She called the nurse at the residence and said she would call his family to arrange pickup for George. That's the gentleman's names. Well that didn't happen. The nurse called me back and said, Just leave him. We'll take a he'll take a bus back. I says I was like Hells no, I'm not just leaving this old confused man. He has no money, no bus pass. And I told her so that since she said she would then she said she'd call the police. So first the family's gonna pick him up. That wasn't gonna work. Then the nurse said take a bus what are you crazy? He's got no money, no bus pass. How's he gonna get there? So then the police were going supposed to come. She waited for over half an hour, no cops showed up. So now she's angry. She puts him in her in her own car and drives him to the to the home, to the retirement home. He looked like he hadn't been washed in months. He'd had an accident in his pants. Uh so when he got when he got there, she takes him in to see the nurses who have the who who to put it in her words, couldn't didn't care about him at all. Uh, I told him that he'd shot himself and needed to be attended attended to and sent to his room. I was fuming. I started I started on them, but they just didn't care. Plus, the floor he was on had no air conditioning. It felt like I was in hell itself with the heat. Hang on, I got to get rid of these notice notifications here. Anyway, long story short, she goes into the place. It's a mess. Nobody seems to care about this guy. You know, and the thrust of this is what I'm talking about is this attitude we're developing, whether it's for the very, very, for the unborn, the very young or the very old, if you do not have some kind of value, okay, if you're not somebody they can sell something to, then you have no value. And you're put into a home and just left there to rot. And what I cannot get my head around is how people can treat other people in this fashion. Like, look, if you had a, a parent who was in retirement, in the home, there was a case last, I believe it was last week, where they caught on videotape a health care provider in one of these homes, literally cold cocking and beating on some old man who could barely talk, had some kind of dementia. I don't remember all the de- details, but they caught him red handed beating on an old man. What kind of coward do you have to be? What, what, what kind of person do you have to be to do that? I just, I I can't understand this. So the city of Ottawa has said, or the Ontario government has said, they're going to investigate this. Apparently, uh, I think it was the beating, took place in a publicly run, in other words, a city-run retirement home. Now, what's going to come of that? I do not know. I cannot tell you. But you know what I do know? It never should have happened in the first place. Like, you would think that people, look, it takes a special kind of person to work in a retirement home nobody wants to change some you know, change a, a diaper on an adult it's bad enough doing it on babies but at the same time if somebody doesn't do it and these people can't what are you to do you know it's look it is i call it the work of angels because you have to put down your own you know set your own feelings aside and think about the person you're helping isn't that what the whole healthcare system is supposed to be based on anyway never mind what what unpleasantness you have to go through to get a job done because you're talking about maintaining the dignity of a human being who just happens to be in this case older than you are my wife worked for years in a couple of different retirement homes and you know what they do some pretty, pardon the phrase, shitty jobs. Because these people can't do it for themselves anymore. They don't want to have somebody else wipe their bottom either. And It's not like they go around, you know, begging for this stuff. We're talking about your, your grandparents, your great uncles, you know, the very people who made it possible for you to have the life that you have, are now in need of you returning the favor. And by you, I'm talking the royal you. I know there's plenty of people out there who are just as shocked and horrified at this as I am. So what I cannot understand is how anyone can treat another human being the way these people are being treated. Now, it's not true in every home. Okay, There are a lot of really good retirement homes out there. I'm not putting everybody in the same basket by any by any measure. But when we encounter these, when we find out these things happen, why is it allowed to continue? Why do we have to, you know, there's so many questions running through my head all at once. Number 1 is I'd like to the things I can't tell you what I'd like to do, but I just look at people I think of my parents now. They've been gone since 1983, so, you know. But I've struggled with with relatives who are incapacitated in one facility in one capacity or another. I understand a little bit about the kind of care it takes to look after somebody who can no longer take care of themselves. You know something? In that humble work, in that work of the angels, for lack of a better term, there is dignity. Doing that job and doing it well should fill a person with a sense of pride, not a sense of disgust, not a sense of disdain. The people that they are helping fought World War II. They laid the foundation for the golden age that came after. They were the ones who worked in the car plants. They were the ones who worked you know, through the 70s and through the 80s and paved the way for what we have now they're not the only ones there was a lot of work that went before them but most of those people are no longer with us but the generation that's in there now in their 80s and their 90s and sometimes younger than that because of mental incapacitation these are your your grandparents in some cases your parents how can we allow this to happen And what supervisor, what individual would ever think that that is a way? That is a way to treat people just because they're old. You know, just because you get old does not mean that you can now treat people, you know, that these people are now not worth your time. You've forgotten who they are. And that, I think, is the thing that drives me crazy the most, is you just simply cannot afford to allow that to happen. And it makes me crazy when I think about it. Because, man, I'm telling you, I am glad. You know something? Here, If, if, if I were running a home like that, and I'm not, okay, I'm not. But one of the things I would build into the home is a, is a, a, a set of cameras in the home that you, as a as a care as a family member, who cares about the compassion, uh, who compare cares about the care of the individual that we're talking about, whether it be your mother, your father, your grandfather, a great uncle, maybe a sibling who's been incapacitated, that at any time day or night you can turn that camera on and watch the care being given and the kind of conditions that that individual lives in. Now there's a business model for you. Talk about peace of mind. Now maybe that's a feature in many homes already. I don't know, but certainly not in these ones because all the ca- all the stories that we hear, that I've read about in the last week, have come from people who have on the on the sly put these cameras in so that they could check without the caregivers knowing they were being watched, without knowing it that they could then sit and watch how, and that's how they got caught. That's how we know about this stuff. The sad part is we have to go to that point. And that's the part that really, I'm telling you, man, I just shake my head in fury when I see this stuff. Because these are just as much human beings as you or I are. And we're only, remember something, if you're my age, you're only 15 or 20 years from that yourself. I'm 55. By 75, 80 years old, you know, maybe 25 years at tops, you might find yourself in exactly this situation, and how would you want to be treated? I'll tell you what. its That's not how I would want to be treated, which is why I had eight kids. <laughs> Excuse me. they can't find a decent home, they can shuffle me around from one place to another. I'm kidding. But the the point, and I really don't mean to make too light of this. This is a very serious situation. And I certainly hope that public pressure put on this because there's a lot of people very angry about this. And they should be. You know, to treat people this way is undignified. It's degrading. It's humiliating. There was another story where a woman was in a retirement home visiting her mother. And because she had, from the staff's point of view, been a pain in the neck, always fussing over how clean things were, always fussing over you know the kind of treatment that her her elderly mother was getting, who was had the onset of dementia, and uh, was just you know from the, for their from the staff's perspective, it's just making their lives that much harder, okay? Because now they had to do things by the book. She was in having a meal with her mother. And I'm remembering this story from memory because I thought I had it pulled up and I don't see it here. So anyway, the point is she's in there and they serve her with uh, trespassing papers and tell her she has to leave while she's sitting having a meal with her mother. Now her mother's an elderly woman, like I said, got a little bit of dementia. So she's confused and scared going, what the heck is going on? The woman was humiliated. She was even met at the curb by the police and told that she would only be allowed to see her mother a couple of hours a day in public and that she would not be allowed to go to her room. Had to get special permission to go to her mother's room to get her ready to attend her brother's funeral, who had died. So the elderly woman was, you know, she had to get permission to prepare her mother to go to her son's funeral. Is this... The, what right does the funeral have? Fun, funeral home, uh, the retirement home have to decide who comes and goes? When you're talking about private individuals, now look, I get it. Anybody can be, you know, can be over the top, and you always have to guard against that. Like, you know, it's it's one thing to set unrealistic demands, but you'd think basic hygiene would be something that's not unrealistic find the story it's in this it's in the sun today find it and read it you won't believe some of the stuff that has been exposed because of these hidden cameras and i'm telling you it is simply outrageous all right we are going to take our first break and when we get back we are going to have more right after this i'm just doing a little bit of um, trying something new here see if it works. All right, with that having said, we'll take a little break, and we'll be right back with more after this.
2: EMM Group is the authorized IntegraSpec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made IntegraSpec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at IntegraSpec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist 613-835-2600.
0: But fix it right the first time. Irwin's out of motion, 34 Cleopatra. Tell council counsel sent you. That'll make him smile.
3: Hey, it's nice to have so many nice people here tonight. And it's really nice that, you know, like when you're nice to people and they're nice to you back, it's, it's nice. And the Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? I don't think we believe that. I don't think there's many people here who would say, yeah, that sounds like me. The heart is desperately wicked.
1: You know, after listening to some stories, I'm not so sure that sentence is not true, though sometimes the heart is desperately wicked. All right, welcome back to the Naked Night Show, folks. The numbers are 343-700-4390 or 844-562-4766. All right, now... Uh, let's see where were we. Okay, so the bottom line with this um, with this situation is that the story, by the way, is called "No Trespass Orders Given to Family Members After Complaining Ab- About Abuse." So that's uh, Rob sent me that on Facebook. Thanks, Rob. Um, I thought I had that pulled up, and for some reason, it didn't make it. But you know, one of the other things that's on my mind, going for, just shifting gears here a little bit. Uh, we have our glorious leader, uh, the boy king, Mr. Trudeau, has decided that he wants to send his prime, his, uh, let's see, I'll get it right here, um, parliamentary secretary. That's the word I was trying to find early, earlier. His parliamentary secretary, a man known to support Sharia law, is going to participate in an organization of Islamic country cooperation uh, session. Now, the thing that, Stops me dead in my tracks is first of all, what in God's name would we have in common with the OIC? Why would we want anything to do with them? Just in case you think that this is just a group of Islamic countries, kind of like you know some kind of fraternity working together for the betterment of their own, of their own kind, uh, these are some of the most despotic countries in the world. Uh, it's just the list there's 57 countries. I won't give you all of them by any stretch, but here's just a few. Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Malaysia, Turkey, Nigeria, uh, Libya, Kazakhstan, uh, Oman, Iraq, Sudan, the Ivory Coast, Yemen, Syria, Azerbaijan, Brunei, uh, Jordan, Cameroon, Tajikistan, Suriname. I think is how you say it. Benin, Benin, uh, Mauritania, one of the last countries in the world to, to practice slavery. Uh, Uganda. Uh, Mali, uh, Gambia, and I'm just picking off a few here. By no means, I read them all. Comoros, uh, Guinea-Bissau, and the Maldives. That's not by no means a um, uh, an exhaustive list, but that's just a few that I happen to pick out. Indonesia's in there as well, and it's these are some of the poorest countries in the world. Other than you know, there's some like the Saudi Arabia, the United the United Arab Emirates. Uh, I think Kuwait's in there as well. Uh, yeah, there's Kuwait. Uh, so Qatar, there's some very incredibly wealthy countries, but I call them, um, they're not, they could not stand alone in a free market society because the only thing they export is oil. If, if, you, if you look at um, uh, a Western economy, uh, they're based on a lot more than just one single export. They have to be. That's one of the strengths is they are diverse in the things that they produce, and the way they create wealth. In these cases, uh, if you set oil aside, there's nothing. So without oil, the, Uni- the UAE, um, uh, where was it, um, Qatar, uh, Saudi Arabia, places like that, they would be along with the other despotic countries because they have nothing to create their wealth. So the question is, what will we have to do with the UAE, OIC, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, the only thing that ties them together is the fact they are Sharia law countries. They all support Sharia law. So what has Canada got in common with that? That's the thing I want to know. I want to know why our boy king decided that it was all of a sudden... um, Hang on, I'm going to try this. Oh, hang on. Nope, that didn't work. Okay. I was going to answer that phone call over Facebook, but I'm not sure that works. But what I'm trying to figure out, by the way, if you're trying to call, uh, you can always call me at 343-700-4390, 844-562-4766. Look at that. There's a call right there. I didn't even seek him in. Hang on. Let's take that call. Oh, come on. There we go. It's loading, loading. There we are. Hello. Welcome to the Nick Night Show. Yeah, this is Kirk, Nick. Hi, Kirk, how you doing? I should have known by the 705. And I'm I out here. 709. You know who I am by now, you have to. Oh, listen, Kirk. I'm from Newfoundland. I know, I should, that's what I mean. When you said Kirk and the way you said her, I knew who you were, right?
3: Yeah, <laughs> the, Omar, the Omar Carter thing All is right. on my mind.
1: Yeah, well, tell and me you what's on and your I, mind.
3: we both know. Go ahead.
1: I said, tell me what's on your mind.
3: Uh, remember when we served on SAGME that the act of treason itself was punishable by death, I think?
1: Uh, I
3: remember that charge correctly.
1: Well, it wasn't by death, but it was... Uh, it, if, if you were charged with treason, we haven't executed somebody for, te- for treason in a long time. Uh, so yeah. it wasn't by... You, they wouldn't shoot you, but the penalty was severe. Let's, let's put it that way. Life in prison at least.
3: Yeah, yeah, cuz uh, I do recall way back in the day. Yeah, when we learned uh, our, it Was either by firing, I believe it was firing squad, but that uh, that was on the that battlefields was, more or less. They have not
1: done that since World War 2.
3: Yeah, exactly. They, so fortunately In the meantime uh in the meantime about both uh, the <laughs> you know, I hope the the widow of uh uh spear uh Get get day they do justice in court tomorrow up there in Ontario.
1: Yeah, that's and true. I certainly hope you're right there, Kurt. I'm just going to try something here. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm saying on Facebook they can't hear you, so I just changed the plug-in and hope that works. Anyway, the point is – Okay. Uh, I really yeah. hope that you're right, that the uh, – uh, Tabitha is her name, Tabitha Spears – and there's uh, the, medic, yeah, was, the, spirit, yeah. Yeah, the medic involved is uh, a guy who lost one eye to the grenade that killed her husband. He's suing as well. So Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that she's Yeah, his name is Morris I, Morris, I believe. Lion Morris. I believe his name is Morris or something, is it? Yeah, I think that might be yeah. his last name. I think his first name is Lion, L-Y-O-N. Anyway... Uh, yeah. He is certainly somebody that uh, is owed some money as well. And you know the thing that gets me is we don't owe this guy not a single solitary penny. Not one dime do we owe this guy. No, cause,
3: because <laughs> for, for a start, I don't know why that most uh, referred to him as a child soldier. For a start, he wasn't a soldier. And for a start, he wasn't a child. Well, Not because, in 2002, as my about... memory serves me correctly on what was on on the books at that time.
1: Well, he, the reason why they keep trying to bring up, and, and I will admit I haven't seen the defense levied in quite in a while now, but when they do try to raise that defense, it's, you get more sympathy for a child than you do for an adult. So if you want to raise exactly. sympathy for somebody, then you say, well, he was just a child. The fact is the Geneva Convention and international law state very clearly that a child soldier is anyone who has... Uh, who has not reached the age of fifteen? Now, it does say that combatants, if they're going to use children, uh, people who are fifteen and older, have to go for the older ones first. So, seventeen-year-olds, then sixteen-year-olds, and then the fifteen-year-olds. But they're all—they're all, uh, they're all uh, combatants. They're not child soldiers. It's just it's,
3: it's, it's a different kettle of fish, then. Yeah. It's... See, it's such a slippery slope on how on how to you now. In my opinion, and there's, there's a few liberals down here who are not too pleased with with either Goodale or Justin Trudeau right as we speak because they feel let down because we've lost people in war. We we still got people still serving the Canadian Armed Forces. Yeah, right? and that's a, that's and this answer. is kind of like. This is kind of like breaking our heart and breaking our back. Well, you're not the only one to say that. The excuse they came up with last week, oh boy, they made a secret deal to compensate (laughs) this guy, Carter.
1: It's a slap in the face to anyone, uh, any NATO soldier, uh, sailor or airman, whoever wore the uniform. It's a slap in the face to all of them, especially for our troops who have lost limbs and more uh, to uh, Islamic terrorism. Listen, Kurt, I got to stop you there. Appreciate your call as always. Thank you. All right. All right. Yeah. Kurt, for those who couldn't hear the call, he was just making the same case that a lot of other people have made. This is, uh, a lot of, um, uh, military people have said that the, um, you know, this is a real slap in the face to everyone. We lost, uh, 90, I think it was 95 or 98 soldiers to IEDs. Something that Omar, not Omar, um, Omar Khotar, uh was filmed making, smiling the whole time he was making it. I mean, he was making these roadside bombs. What did, you know, somebody said, well, there's no evidence he actually, used. well, what do you think he was making them for, celebra- celebrating the 1st of July? I mean, that's the whole point. So we don't know how many, uh, if he killed any Canadians or if he did, how many? So anyway, we don't owe this guy a dime, not a solitary nickel. Now, the widow has placed a last-minute Hail Mary pass in the hands of the courts trying to stop uh, Mr. Cotter from getting rid of or disposing of that $10.5 million um, before it leaves the country. I think it's already gone, to tell you the truth. I think it's probably in a bank in Pakistan by now. It's been, what, over a week? So if there's any of that money left, uh, then... I doubt it. I just really doubt it that there's anything here. If there is, she should get every penny. She should have gotten every penny. She, you know what she should have gotten? She should have gotten a check from the government on behalf of Omar Khadr to help pay back some of that $132 million he owes her. That, you know, it's funny. There. Uh, uh, let's see if I have that. Uh, yeah, okay, no, that's not it. Oh yeah, listen to this. The widow. Wood- This is from the Toronto Sun, Ottawa Sun Today. The widow of an American soldier killed in Afghanistan has failed to show there's a real risk. Former Guantanamo Bay prisoner Omar Khadr is hiding his money as a way to avoid paying people he might owe. The new court filings show. In urging Ontario Superior Court to dismiss a request for an injunction against Cotter, his lawyer argues Tabitha Spear and, and another former American soldier have not shown a strong case to back the demand for an urgent freeze on a, on any money paid to him by federal government, except for the fact that there's already been a, a court case uh, that she's won in Utah that says he does owe her money. Uh, so here's here's what the lawyers actually say. The scant evidence offered in support of this pleading pleading consists of double and triple hearsay statements drawn from media reports and Wikipedia. That was Omar Cotter's lawyer, wait, Nate Whittling, in response appears to, to Spears' widow's application. No, she has a court case judgment against him. That's not just drawn from Wikipedia. That's not just double and triple hearsay. That's a legal decision from a court of law within North America. And that should be plenty to stop that from taking place, but like I said, I don't think that money's there. I think it's gone, and the tragedy is she's not going to see a dime. Now there is, there is. If you're interested, there is a um, a GoFundMe event um, or crowdfunding, I should say. Uh, I posted the link on my Facebook page the other day. Uh, Rebel has. The same thing they've raised at the last count, the last time I looked, which is a few days ago now, about seventy seven thousand dollars, It's a long way from 10 million. But it's something uh, to to, towards paying Tabitha Spears uh, some of the money on behalf of, you know, all of us because our government refuses to do it. Now, that unleashed a firestorm on Facebook too. you would not believe the people who went crazy when we said, you know, something we I think we owe them. I think we owe them. Uh, so at least some token. Like it's one thing for the government to dole out money you have no control over, even though it's your money, right? So we just lost ten and a half million dollars to a terrorist. What's wrong with Canadians individually coming together and putting four, five, ten, fifteen bucks in a pot, gathering up as much as you can and sending it to her, saying, "Look, most of us, seventy-one percent of us." Do not think the government did the right thing, and we do not support this decision. This isn't much, but accept it as a token so that you understand that the vast majority of Canadians don't think this was justice done, justice served, because there are a few out there who do, but the vast majority of us. You know something? I saw that. Um, I draw that 70, 71% from a poll that came out earlier this week, and it's when when um, when you listen to the mainstream media on it, They will say, Canada is so divided. Canada is such a mess. I mean, we've never been more polarized. What a load of crap that is. We've never been more united. You show me an issue. I challenge you. You show me an issue that says we have anything else that binds us together the way that this issue does. Nothing. There's nothing out there. You can't get, you put 10 Canadians in a room and ask them to, to agree on what a good cup of coffee tastes like. You get 10 different opinions. You ask them to um, uh, talk about anything you want to and you'll get 10 different opinions. But on this, you put 100 in a room, Seventy one or 71 of them are going to say, that was the wrong move. So, I I think it's well worth the idea. I know I'm, I'm even even right now on Facebook somebody said I'm sorry, Nick. We the taxpayer have already paid Cotter, and why are we having to pay more to her? Because the money went into the wrong hands, and we can't control that. Okay, but we can if you want to. Remember, this is voluntary. You don't have to. Okay. But if you feel the government made a mistake, no, actually, I'm not going to admit, I'm not going to say it was a mistake. If they intentionally chose to block her from access to that money that she's duly owed because of a court judgment on her behalf. And you want to throw five bucks in a pot or 50 bucks or, or 20 bucks or whatever it is. I don't see any problem with that. This is not paying again. This is doing it right. If you don't want to do it, fine, don't. I'm not not trying to force anyone. I'm not trying to to force anybody into doing anything, by guilt or otherwise. I'm just saying, I think, from where I sit, that's a good idea. At least then we can say, look, Tabitha, we are terribly sorry that our government is intentionally rubbing salt in the wounds, is funding terrorism because that's where this money is headed. I don't say this lightly. But what other conclusion can you come to? So they're funding terrorism. We don't think it's right. And to back up our words, here's a token, you know, whatever it is. So let's say it ends up being 100 grand. Over, you know, spread over 71% of 36 million people. It's not a lot of money each, is it? So, whatever. But the point is I think it would be a great gesture. And if you want to do it, if you want to make it, by all means, go ahead. I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying I think it's a good idea. All right. I need to take another one of those breaks. So with that said, we shall do that right now. Okay. You hang on and we shall be right back after this.
4: of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area, and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. For
0: 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra 8 Bay's and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's out of motion, 34 Cleopatra. Tell them council sent you. That'll make him smile.
1: Okay, let's see now. Um, all right. I'm just trying to get my head screwed back on here. Okay, I think we're good to go. All right, that so that's in a nutshell. You know what? I don't. I'm sure a lot of people are are. I'm still very very angry about Catter, but I'm also getting mighty tired of having to say his name. I mean, let's face it. This guy isn't worth this kind of attention. The sad part is. It keeps coming up, and we can't seem to get it through to the politicians' heads that this is simply unacceptable. By the way, uh, Marin says that the crowdfunding is up to $121,483 as per the link below, which I don't see, but I trust her to tell me that part accurately. Um, So if you want to participate in that, by all means, go ahead. But there are plenty of other issues on the... um, on the table at the moment. Let me just bring up the next one here. Oh yes, now here's another um, shamazal brought to us by our federal liberals. Apparently, you know this. Um, what do they call it? The MMIA Council, uh, the, the uh, mis- murdered, missing Indigenous women, or MMIW. Uh, this poll, th- this whole thing is a, is is a, a dog's breakfast because first of all, we already know what happened. We already know what happened to these women. It was native on native violence. That's what it was. We don't need to spend this kind of money to figure out what we already know. And yet, it's a specialty of this particular um, of this particular government. And for some reason, I can't figure out why. They just they got to spend money. This okay. So this so this is only two paragraphs long. Let me share it with you. The success of the inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women is at risk with the sudden resignation of one of the five commissioners and the decision of a leading First Nations women's group to withdraw its support for the process. The turmoil and complaints that the commission has neglected the families of those who have lost loved ones is fueling a lack of confidence in the inquiry by the federal government and has crea- that the federal government created to find out why so many Indigenous women became become victims of violence. We already know the answer. We already know it. But they they want, I think it was another 52 million and two more years to continue this charade. Look, I don't like violence against anybody. I really don't. But you don't need to spend any more money figuring this out. You have reserves, not all of them by any stretch. Some are very well run. But you certainly have a number of reserves in this country poorly run, overrun with drugs, overrun with alcohol, teenage pregnancy, suicides, and you wonder why there's violence? You wonder why people get murdered? Does it take a rocket scientist to figure this out? Does it take $52 million? Why is it that they simply have to... You know what? It's like looking at a wall saying the wall's white. Yes, uh, yeah, it seems that way, but let's have a commission... Let's do an inquiry into why that wall's white. Well, because that's the pigment in the paint. Well, yeah, but we want to make sure. You know, the answer is obvious, but we want to make sure. Well, let's have a commission into gravity. You know, and make sure the gravity is real. Well, what kind of nonsense is that? It's the same kind of thing. These people love to spend time and money on absolutely nothing. They just will not quit. And this is another classic example. Oh man. So this indigenous uh, uh, missing murdered and in, in, in um missing murdered indigenous women, um are they at risk? Yes. There's no I'm not trying to say there's no risk to these people, but you don't you don't deal with that. By having a royal blue blue ribbon commission or something, where they traipse around all over the country, staying in the first class hotels, ringing up fifty two bucks for orange juice, and then you know submitting a fifty four million dollar bill, and all it's all over, and we don't know any more when it ended than when it started. That's not how you solve this problem. You have to go back to what Stephen Harper did. Oh, right, accountability. Make them explain where the money goes. Make them explain and deal with how come, oh, well, they don't have economic opportunities. Hogwash, they do so. My wife, just about, my wife, their family members, one of which is my wife, who's going back to school in, in the fall um, to Algonquin College, went through the list of categories of the kind of funding you can get. And believe me, if you're indigenous, you cannot say that there are no opportunities. They bend over backwards. I'm not saying that's bad, but don't tell me there's no opportunities. Nobody forces you to stay on the reserve. You could go to Algonquin College, go to a university, go to a school of higher learning, learn a trade, go to where the jobs are. Heck, if you listen to the economic forecast right now, everything's rosy. In Well, not quite rosy, but it's certainly a lot better. What is the jobless rate down below 6.5 now? There's, there's work out there if you want to do it. It just blows my mind. So this kind of stuff, I don't know about you, but it just rubs me completely the wrong way that they continue to spend this money over and over and over again on stuff that we already have answers to. It's indigenous on indigenous violence. And until and unless you deal with that, you can have all the commissions you want and it will not make a hill of beans difference. Not one single shred of difference. You're still going to have people get killed. You're still going to have drug addicts. You're still going to have alcoholics. You're still going to have team suicides. You're still going to have despotic uh, reservations. Because unless the band councils are held accountable for where that money goes and what it actually produces, we spend $9 billion a year on this file. And yet we still have these conditions. And they always want to spend more. That's always the answer. When you're talking about a liberal, it's always, well, we got to spend more. If education were the key, we wouldn't have a problem left of the planet. Back in the 60s, we were told, the teenage pregnancies are out of whack, man. we got to have a government program to get it under control. A yeah, fat lot of good that did. It didn't seem to solve the problem. As a matter of fact, it kind of made it worse. Let's raise the minimum wage at 15 bucks so we don't have any more poor people or out-of-work people. Yeah, that'll work. No, not quite. Anyway, I'm ranting and raving, and it's time for me to take that commercial break again. We'll be right back. Hang on. I have to run through my little routine.
4: CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area, and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together.
2: EMM Group is the authorized IntegraSpec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made IntegraSpec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at IntegraSpec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist 613-835-2600.
3: Show and Bobby Sue Two young lovers with nothing better to do sit
0: around the house, get I watch it too. And here's
1: what happened when they decided to cut loose. Now okay. So we've got going from that to something else, which I tend to do a lot of. Um, we have the story of, remember last week, Trudeau didn't have time to go to the Calgary Stampede. And it's not hard to figure out why he wouldn't want to go there. Apparently, he's decided all of a sudden he's got time in his schedule that he wants to go and take in the Calgary Stampede. Brave man or foolish. You know, it's easy to say that, but I don't think there's going to be anything untoward happen to the Prime Minister. That's just not the Canadian way. But he might get shouted at, he might get called some names. I remember watching one video clip where somebody called him a scumbag and it stopped him cold. He was completely unprepared for that. Doesn't deal with dissent very well. Anyway, he's going out there and he'll probably take his family and they'll have a great time. But, you know, oh, I don't want to talk to you, be quiet. Uh, Commercial's in the middle of my stories. Anyway, uh, he's going to go out and, and take along his family and that's all great. But if he thinks he's going to forge any links out there, if he thinks he's going to win any votes out there, not even close. There's no doubt in my mind that he's doing this for political reasons, although I don't know what they could be, because there's no hay to make out there. He's done so much damage, especially, remember something, Alberta is home to two of Canada's major uh, military um, regiments who fought... um, uh, in Afghanistan. Uh, second Battalion, Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. And what's the unit up in Edmonton? Or maybe that is where the Pats are. There's one in Calgary, one in Edmonton, anyway. The RCR are in London, the Van No, well, maybe it's the two, uh, first and second are out there in Calgary. But anyway, there's a large infantry contingent. Uh, the Army's basically based in Alberta. And uh, he's going to be tromping around out there after slapping them in the face with this whole Omar Cotter thing. So I don't know how um, uh, how this is going to work. Uh, you know, I I do know that uh, our troops are very self disciplined and they won't do anything to show disrespect to the office. They may mutter and mumble behind you know closed doors and grumble about the, this kind of thing and feel insulted and hurt. Uh, you know, you know, by this action uh, there 's guys over there. think of this uh just going back to the Cotter settlement for a second. we have people our own counselor right here in Ottawa is an example jody Middick. he 's a paraplegic why because he stepped on a landmine and he lost his low, he lost his legs. I think it 's from the knees down. How much did he get i don 't know, but I do know it wasn't it wasn't ten million dollars. How much did the families get? You know, who lost members to the Taliban and to IDs and all that stuff uh, out there? Did they get $10 million? No. At the most, they might have got a couple hundred thousand. But we've got $10 million for a terrorist. Anyway, so he's going to go on out to Calgary. Good luck to him is all I can say. He's certainly not going to gain any political traction out there. I can't see that happening under even the best circumstances because, let's face it, there's no ground for him to plow out there. All right. With that said, uh, yeah, we talked about that. Now, going back to the native file, this this is, um, you know, I, on one hand, uh, there's a lot of situations in this file that I'm going to set up. But I, in this case, the story from the CBC and it's titled, We're Not Leaving, Tempers Flare Between First Nations and the RCMP Amid Wildfire Evacuation Order. Uh, the people who are on this particular reserve, they don't want to leave. And it's not because they're being, st- well, they are being stubborn, but in this case, I think it's a good thing. They understand the risk as well as anybody else does out there. Because let's face it, BC's on fire. There's 14,000 people been evacuated, there's over 200 wildfires out there. It's a mess. It, they, they, I mean, it's, I won't put, I don't know how it compares to the Fort Mack fire, but there's a lot of property and a lot of people at risk. But this B.C. First Nations band has said, you know what? We're staying and we're going to fight for our homes. And I applaud them for it. Here's some of the story. A B.C. First Nations chief says the emotions ran high between himself and the RCMP when he told officers residents wouldn't be obeying an evacuation order as several wildfires threatened the community. On Sunday, Chief Joe Alphonse of the Tech... uh, of his First Nation community, and I'm, I simply didn't even try to say because I don't want to uh, uh, butcher the name. It's in the CBC story if you want to read it. It looks like te- uh, Tetnikwaks, uh, First Nation community of Anaham Reserve, uh, announced that some members of the community would be staying behind several to fight the fire. The community about two hours west of Williams Lake isn't far from several out-of-control fires in the Hansville area. The 20,000-acre Gustafsson fire is also to the southeast. The First Nations was placed under an evacuation order on Sunday, but Alphonse said he won't be leaving. And here's what he says as a quote. We're going to fight for our place. We'd rather be out there fighting, protecting, than allowing than allow somebody else to do it. We appreciate the work of firefighters, but this is what we want. You know something? I got to respect that. I mean, there's, I have lots of issues with a lot of things under that file, but I do not have issue with somebody wanting to take the load on himself and his community and fight to keep their homes. I got no issue with that. I think they, they should be applauded for that. Now, they also are, you know, the question now becomes, okay, you didn't leave when we told you to. You're on your own. Um, I want them to be successful. I want them to save their homes. But at some point, you have to admit, This is an unwinnable battle, or the risk isn't worth the gain. But you know something—something tells me that this guy, he's not a stupid man, and he will, uh, should he get out of hand, and he, you know, while there's still time, he will pull his people out of there. I certainly hope so, because there's um, there's a lot to applaud here, but I hope he errs on the side of caution. Now. Uh, that fire just... I was watching some of the video footage of it, and it is unreal. Unreal how serious that fire is. And it it really is kind of um, troubling. And you know something? One of the things... A lot of people would would point to global warming, although North America has been wet and damp, or wet and and cloudy and cool. uh, Well, some of the states have been, but Canada certainly has been wet and cool for the good part of the summer. And... Part of the reason for these fires is because the forests have become so dense that the trees that die can't fall over and rot on the ground the way they used to because we don't, excuse me, we don't log them like we used to. So there's a lot of trees that should have been taken out. Um... And allow for bigger, healthier trees to take their place, which stabilize the ground with their larger root networks, don't take up as much water, leave more water in the creeks, release the water more slowly when they do release it, that kind of thing. Um, but this is something that this is a case of uh, us meddling with nature and it coming back to bite us. We now have a lot of people out there going, boy, that was dumb, because now there's all this extra firewood out there and the fires are far more intense and harder to put out, it's like putting it, look, one of the things they teach you in basic firefighting is if you can get to a fire in the first minute or two, 99% of them can be handled with a small first-hand fire extinguisher. In other words, deal with it when it's small. I remember when we went through damage control school in the Navy, the first thing they taught us was how to use the four basic uh, types of extinguishers, Uh, you know, and what kind of fires to use them on. A, B, C, and D, and what would each one was for, and how to overhaul a fire when you had it out to make sure, make sure it was out. And the whole time I was in, I think we had one small electrical fire in the main cafeteria, which was dealt with within about 30 seconds with a shot of a CO2 extinguisher, fire was out, that was it. You know, um, same thing, there was one fire on one of our O-class submarines when I was on duty one weekend, I had to suit up for, but somebody from who from the duty watch was on board the submarine at the time and put it out with a handheld fire extinguisher. I'm telling you this because you deal with fires when they're small and you limit their opportunity to start in the first place by making sure excess fuel is not left laying around. Apply that to the forest. The forest is nothing but a massive uh, stand of firewood. And if you don't keep it clean, and if you don't take out the dead wood, and if you don't take out the... You know, the the mature trees have reached the end of their life life cycle. Then guess what you're going to have? Well, now we see the consequences. So this fire is a big deal out there in in, uh, B.C., and it's unfortunate. But um, that's the way things go. Everybody seems to know what's going on with this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, when it comes to managing the environment yet they never seem to be around when accountability time comes. And that's the kind of thing that just, boy, it's enough to light your fire, if I can put it that way. All right, it's time for me to take a little top-of-the-hour break. Uh, Let's see. I think I actually found the right spot this time. So let me do this. I'm going to run off and uh, grab a a fresh drink of water because my bottle is almost empty. All right, that's done. You listen to this, and we shall be back.
0: Nick is reloading and taking a much needed break. Not that he needs one, but maybe it's a good thing. So if you want to fire him off an email, just uh, send it to nick at latenightcouncil.com. That's simple, huh? nick at latenightcouncil.com. Or better yet, call now. Hey, I know he could talk forever, but you know what? If you're doing talk radio, you love the calls. 343 700 4390. That's 343 743 4390 for the capital region. And if you can't get through on that line or you live far, far, far away, like we're talking about Alaska, 1-844-562-4766. That's 1-844-562-4766. Now our call service is automated. You won't be talking to a live person until you're live on air. Don't sweat it. Just follow the prompts and while you're on hold and, and you'll be fine. At night does not exist without advertisers. So if you want to buy time, you contact either myself, JC, at latenightcouncil.com. Or you can contact Nick if you're more comfortable with him. And of course, I certainly understand that. You can contact Nick at LateNightCouncil.com. The ads are like really, really cheap. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna love them. Okay, you we've we've made them quite accessible feedback is always welcome tell us what you like tell us what you don't like and thanks for tuning in now back to nick at night but fix it right the first time. Irwin's out of motion, 34 Cleopatra. Tell him council sent you. That'll make him smile. Can't buy me love, love, can't buy me love. I'll buy you down the ring, my friend, if you feel all right. I'll get you anything, my friend, if makes you feel all right. Cause
2: I don't care too much for money. Give you
0: all I've
1: got to give if you, say you love me too, I mean, All right, hour two, straight ahead. You know, some issues uh, I, I think slip under the radar. Uh, and because of everything else that's going on, let's face it, the Cotter story has absorbed a lot of our attention. Uh, but there's one story here that just sets my head on fire. I can't understand people. Uh, I can't understand courts. I, I real Well, the court system, I get, but how people come to decisions. Now, they would say, well, we're just going by the letter of the law. Um. All right, let me share this with you. The, the headline is, and this is from the Toronto Sun. Yep, Toronto, yeah, okay. It's from the Sun. Anyway, the mandatory minimum sentence of, is called Ontario Court Rules Child Luring Mandatory Minimum Sentence Unconstitutional. In other words... Uh, it's unconstitutional to set a mandatory mineral mineral minimum sentence on someone who lures a child uh, for sexual, um, you know, for sexual uh, to be as a sexual predator. All right. The mandatory minimum sentence of one year in prison for luring a child into sexual activity via the Internet is unconstitutional. Ontario's cop court, cop court, top court has ruled. In upholding an earlier decision, the Court of Appeals said that forcing the courts to impose at least a 12-month jail term could, in some cases, be out of line with various acts, with various acts captured by the law. Canadians, the court has said, would find one-year minimums to be aberrant and intolerable to their sense of decency in cases where a person's comparative blameless, blameworthiness is less serious. Stop right there. How many of you, give me a show of hands, think that it would be aberrant or disgusting or somehow cruel to imprison someone who lures a child into a situation where they can be then sexually exploited by the lure In other words, if you're a pedophile, which is what we're talking about here, and you lure a a, a little boy or a little girl into your clutches to have your way with That you would think a year in jail is cruel and unusual punishment for the pedophile. It's funny. I don't see any hands going up. All right, let's try the other way. How many of you think that a year is nowhere near enough punishment for someone who behaves in said manner? That they would be out there within a year, and you know the whole thing about time off and, you know, pre-sentencing and all that kind of crap, right? But do you believe that a year is not enough? Just give me a little thumbs up if you think that's the way. Because I know I'm hitting the thumb button. This is just absolutely ridiculous. The idea that the judge says some Canadians, I'd like to know who those two guys are. Who is it that thinks, well, you know, you have to worry about the adult pedophile because you might hurt his feelings and he might not be totally blaming blameworthy. I'm sorry, you molest the child, you are blameworthy. I don't care. Nothing else matters. It is one of the single most disgusting things one person can do to another short of outright murder. So tell me, is the judge right? Do you find it that it's a situation that you could not, um, you could not, uh, you would feel for the pedophile By hands, Lou, I mean give me a thumbs up, okay? Uh, Lou is saying hands. You know, I said hands, put your hands up. Anyway, the point is, I think the vast majority of cases in this country, the vast majority of people in this country would be disgusted by pedophilia, be disgusted with anyone who practices it, and think a year in jail is the very least they should get. I think that's what most Canadians would think. Now, that's just my opinion. I want yours. What do you think? Is the judge right? Because, look, you can wrap your head around anything from a legal point of view and make any argument. That's what defense lawyers do. Okay? They take the law and try to make it fit their client's case so that the client – and that's – I'm not saying that's not part of due process. But when you're talking about pedophilia, it is the single most disgusting thing you can do to somebody short of actually killing them. Because you're talking about having an adult exploit a child sexually. A child. And that goes all the way up to age 16, by the way. So if you do that, you are just one of the most despicable, disgusting people I think I, w- I could ever encounter. A year in jail? That's all? Give me a break. I think it should be a lot more than that. How about 10 years in jail? And the younger they are, the more time you serve. For fifteen, for sixteen and under ten years. You get down into the single digits, now you're talking twenty years. I mean, there's just no excuse for this stuff. And yet the more every time we turn around, it's becoming more normalized. Remember on, on Facebook, a few um a few A couple, was it two weeks ago already? In the Boston Library, okay, there was a couple of, for lack of a better term, drag queens, guys dressed up as women, went in to give a public reading in a library. The whole thing was about normalizing men dressing up as women. Now, this isn't two adults acting out sexual fantasies behind closed doors. That's none of my business. What, if they want to dress up like girls behind closed what do I care? It's, it, that's not what this is about at all. But they did it in a library in front of children in a way that says, oh, look, we're just really nice people. You know, we, do, we, we don't mean anybody any harm. Trying to normalize it so that kids won't be, you know, won't grow up thinking, God, you guys are weird. Because they don't like that. So what what adults do with each other behind closed doors, none of my affair. But they're not leaving it behind closed doors. They're bringing it out. And they they are preconditioning children to make that lifestyle more acceptable, acceptable to them as they get older. In a way, their parents probably wouldn't agree with if they took the time to pay attention. Now, you can argue and say, well, it's in a public library. They must have known. The parents must have known uh must have known what was going on maybe maybe but what about the people who run the library why would they allow that in the first place do these people have no sense of decency do they have no sense of the protection of innocence is this the proper use of a library So it's just all this centers around the stripping away of the innocence of the child. That's what really is the heart of what uh, makes me really upset by this stuff. You know, like I said, it's not about what adults do with each other behind closed doors. You can tickle tickle each other's bum with a feather for all I care. You know, it doesn't matter to me because I'm not involved. My kids are not involved. That's not the point. But when you take it from behind closed doors and you bring it out in the open, now you're exposing yourself to public scrutiny and public analysis because you're in the public square. Don't expect people to sit back and say, oh, well, we can't judge. Oh, well, we can't say anything. If they didn't want you to judge them, they wouldn't be out in public. You see, they expect this curtain to be dropped around them, protecting them from, again, from people who look at this and say, are you nuts? This is not healthy. You know, they don't want to hear that. They want you to accept them on their terms, but they won't accept the fact that there's lots of people out there who don't think this is right. So if you don't want to go through that, don't walk out into public with it. It's really that simple. And yet here they are in a public library. I don't know. What do you think? Let me know in the comments or that kind of thing i just <laughs> jail for life hammering rocks hammering big rocks into little ones douglas said that about pedophilia yeah you know what i i, I don't know if i would disagree it would look when we talk about this i by the way when i talk like this i understand that when you're talking about teenagers okay you've got a let's say a 15 year old who falls in high school madly in love with a 17-year-old. That's not... that. that how many millions of people have gone through that? That's not what we're talking about. But if somebody my age, 55 years old, were to lure in a 13-year-old or a 14-year-old, that's what we're talking about. That's exactly what we're talking about. If somebody who's 35... Goes after a six-year-old. It's the difference in the age, and the level of maturity. Okay, in your teens, you're all hormones. Understand? Understand that too. But in this case, that's not what this is about. So this whole story, uh, by the by, the this all flows back to the story about the um, about the uh, Ontario court uh, saying that the uh, they they don't like the uh, applying the they, they say it's unconstitutional. Now, it's it's funny, uh, let's see, just Ontario's top court. So it's the Ontario Supreme Court, and not the uh, Supreme Court of Canada. So this could be appealed uh, to the Supreme Court for a decision, although I don't hold a lot of ho- hope out. You realize that taking this to the Supreme Court, given the fact that the Supreme Court has come out and said that bestiality, and if I have to explain that to you, well, I'm not going to. You just Google it. You'll get the idea. If that's okay under certain circumstances, what chance do you have of having them ruling that this isn't okay? We got a sick Supreme Court. We really do. All right. Anyway, so there's that. Now, uh, let's see. Oh, yes. Remember we were talking a week or two ago about who we thought would make a great... um, uh, Governor's General, and I had no idea who uh, the Boy King was going to pick. My suggestion, I had a couple, Lou McKenzie, Romeo Dallaire, and the one I finally settled on was Bobby Orr. I thought Bobby Orr would make a great Governor's General. He's probably too smart to take the job, but you know, all things being equal, I thought Bobby Orr would make a great Governor's General. Well, it looks like Former astronaut Julie Payette will be Canada's next Governor-General. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will appoint former astronaut Julie Payette as Canada's next Governor-General, picking the prominent Quebecer for the high-profile position rather than the number of Aboriginal leaders who are also seen to be in the running. Senior federal officials pointed out that tradition calls on the Prime Minister to appoint a francophone to the post after the seven-year tenure of David Johnson and Liberals in Quebec are ecstatic with the selection, which will be announced in Ottawa on Thursday, she's perfectly aligned with the image we want to project, a senior liberal official said. It's such a nice nomination. Look, I don't know about, um, I don't know anything about her. Um, she's a former astronaut, so she's, she's obviously not stupid by any stretch. Very highly educated woman. This could be another, it, she may very well turn out to be a very, very good governor's general. She could be a, turn out to be a completely terrible one, too. Time will tell. But it's a better selection than I thought he was going to make. I am surprised, to tell you the truth, that he actually got this, I won't say right because we don't know yet, but he made, I think, a decent choice. And given his track record of good decisions, there aren't many of them out there to choose from. Good decisions, I mean, things that he's done well it seems that the vast majority of things he touches turns to mud in a hurry. One of the few things he's done was approve the pipeline out west. That you can stand up and say, okay, that one made sense. But that decision was pretty much already made for him anyway, so I don't know how much credit he can take for that. Okay, so I'm just curious. What do you think of that? Is is that, would you be happy with a, a former uh, Frankivong astronaut as your next governor's general. Like I said, it's not the kind of thing that um um it's not the kind of thing that you can say um is a bad choice. There are far worse choices he could have made. So we'll see. I'm just curious what you think. If you want to let me uh yeah uh Doug says she's a moderate pick for the GG. Yeah I I still think Bobby Orr would have been a great one. Uh, simply because he's such a humble man to begin with. If you've ever seen any interviews, um, CBC did one with him a number of years ago while he was at home in Perry Sound. Him and Mansbridge got together. And look, I'm no fan of the CBC, um, but one thing that Peter did well was interview people. But when it was in a political scenario, when he sat down and just talked to people one-on-one in a... Um, Uh, Setting like this particular uh, Bobby Orr interview, I thought it was a very, very well done interview, and uh, Bob accounted, Bob presented himself very well. Very humble man, Uh, you know, wasn't hung up on you know some of the wrongs that had been done him via Alan Eagleson and different things like that. Uh, You know, he accepted the fact that his career was cut short for circumstances beyond his control. Uh, He accepted his place in the history of the sport. Uh, but at the same time, didn't walk around saying, hey, I'm Bobby Orr. You better let me to the front of the line. You know, that's not him at all. So I really thought he would have made a great one simply for that. Uh, now, there was another story I wanted to bring to your attention. There's um, a story, and I th- again, I thought I had, maybe, it's on, maybe I have it posted on Facebook. Let me take a moment to look here uh do no I gotta get rid of some of these. Here we go now I gotta go home. I'm looking for a story about the remember last week we talked about the Micmac propos the Micmacs who uh one of them shaved their head in front of the um in front of the uh statue of um of um Lord Cornwallis. That's it. Well, there's a story today. Um, where did it go? I have it in here. There it is. About how there's a group on Facebook that wants to remove the statue quietly. Here it is. I knew if I looked long enough. Yeah, they want to remove it peacefully. And here's what's under my craw about this. It's causing me some grief. Okay, from Halifax. Tensions over how Halifax honors its contentious founder are growing as a plan to topple the statue of Edward Cornwallis from a downtown park circulates on social media. A Facebook Facebook event called Removing Cornwallis invites people to protest Saturday to peacefully remove the large bronze statue from atop a large stone pedestal. Halifax Major Mike Savage spoke out against the plan Tuesday, noting removing the statue by force is not condoned by the Nova Scotia Assembly of Mi'kmaq chiefs. It's true that many Mi'kmaq people, Indigenous Mi'kmaq uh, people, indigenous people, and others of, of all backgrounds disagree with the continued presence of Edward Cornwallis on a pedestal in a public park. Stop there. You know something? Why is it that our culture doesn't matter? Can somebody explain this to me? Look, the statue doesn't say that Lord Cornwallis was perfect. He doesn't say that everything the British did was perfect. He didn't say... Anything except that Lord Cornwallis was the founder of Halifax and as such uh, of Nova Scotia and ought to be honored for that fact and that our history is what it is. And you don't get to change it just because you take offense to something that happened 400 years, well, 300 years ago anyway. Nova Scotia is one of the oldest parts of the country other than Quebec City. I mean, you want to talk about history? Why is it that it's always, and for lack of a better term, British culture that seems to take the hit? Why is it that the the indigenous crowd can't say, "Well, you know what? Okay, things were done 150, 200, 250, 300 years ago. You know that weren't very nice, but they're history." And we can't change history, or we shouldn't try. So we're not going to change the statue. If you want to educate people about it, fine, knock your socks off. But why does it always... Do you think if we walked up here to Parliament Hill, there is a bronze life-size statue of Chief Tecumseh, the guy that fought with Brock in the War of 1812. What do you think the indigenous population in this country would do if somebody said, yeah, he was a warmonger and pulled it out of there. He wasn't the most peaceful man of men. Now, I'm not saying I want the statue removed. Not at all. It's part of our history. And he helped shape Canada into what it is today, along with General Sir Isaac Brock. Two very prominent figures in our history. But if we did that, what would happen? You know darn well what would happen. The human cry would be deafening. There would be no relenting. They'd have that statue back before you know before sundown. Heads would roll. So how come it's okay in this case to trash our history, our culture? Why is it that the Anglo-Saxon history is to be expunged? sanitized, watered down, removed, rewritten to satisfy modern sensibilities? Do they go around Rome pulling down statues of Julius Caesar because he was a dictator? Not that I know of. Does anybody condone the things that Julius Caesar did? Not that I know of. Now, there are times in history when you take down statues of people like Adolf Hitler and you take down, they took down the one of Saddam Hussein when they entered Baghdad. But those, well, in the case of Saddam Hussein, he was alive at the time. Part of, the whole part of creating the history around Saddam Hussein was pulling down this self-grandizing statue that he had put up in his own honor. which is a different thing than what we see now going on in Halifax where they want to take down a statue that's been there it certainly predates my time in Halifax going back into the 80s it's been there a very long time would they take down the statue of winston churchill in front of the halifax public library i wouldn't one of these days they you want to talk about sanitizing british history Do you realize Winston Churchill visited Canada more than any other country? He was here 29 times. He loved the place. He absolutely loved Canada. One of the most famous pictures of him is of him in Rideau Hall, where it was taken. He's got a scowl on his face. And the reason he's got a scowl on his face is just before the picture was taken, uh, the photographer, whose name I forget now, snatched the cigar out of his out of his fingers, and he was scowling when they took the shot. That's why he was scowling. Because Churchill's well-known for his love of cigars. Would you take down that statue? I mean, where do we draw the line here? So anyway, it's just... (sighs) I get tired of watching history being rewritten. For the sake of people who are politically correct and don't like the fact that one side won or lost and the other side was subjugated, or, you know, something bad happened to their ancestors and now they want to set it right 400 years later, even though everybody involved is now dead. History is what it is. And it makes me crazy when I see people try to change it to suit their own political agenda. All right, now, in another story. The Bank of Canada is raising its interest rates. Now, it's only going up by 25 basis points, which is, uh, uh, let's see, a basis point is one-tenth of one percent. So a quarter of a point. So from 0.5 percent uh, to 0.75 percent. It's not a – well, in the world of interest rates, it's not a small increase but it's not like a 5 point rise right you're not going from let's say 5 to to 10% you're going up in tiny little increments here but even then when you stop and think about think about there's there's a bunch of consequences to think about from an economic point of view in this case and that would be that in when you, if you have a floating mortgage okay any increase is going to make owning your home paying for it If you have a long-term mortgage, it's going to be very expensive. Um, Now, but if you put it on the grander scale, if you think about this from the point of view of governments, Ontario is over 312, I think the number is now $315 billion in debt. I think our annual debt payments at this rate before the increase were about $10 billion a year so that's 10 billion dollars we don't have to fix roads to fix hospitals uh you know to shorten wait times to to do all kinds of things with we we just don't have it you know to look after the elderly you know uh because we're we're throwing it out the window we're so deeply in debt that we have to service that debt you know money's not free interest is is better understood as rent when you borrow money Let's say you borrow $1,000 and you have to pay $1,100 back. That $100 is the rent. It's just like when you rent a truck. Okay, Every mile you put on it, you pay for it. Okay, You pay for the use of that truck. We're paying for the use of our money. And the way they calculate how much rent that's going to be is the interest rate. So if it goes up by a point, our debt would Double. The amount we not our debt, but the amount of money we would pay on the debt would double to from ten billion to twenty billion dollars and these numbers are so big and so hard to understand that it's hard to get your head around what those numbers mean and I've used this analogy before to help you understand, but think about this: let's say that you were given one billion dollars in cash you couldn't put it in a bank because even at next-to-nothing interest rates, you can imagine how much interest you'd earn. And for the sake of this analogy, you don't want to earn any interest. I'm just trying to give you an understanding of how much a billion is. So you put it in your garage. There's skids of money in there, okay? $20 bills, $50 bills, $100 bills, equaling $1 billion. Now, at the rate of $100,000 a day, it would take you spending $100,000 a day, 365 days of the year, every single day, without fail, it would take you 27 years to spend it all. And we are 315 times that much money in debt just in the province of Ontario. The national debt's twice that. So now you can understand why an increase in our interest rate matters because the government has so poorly managed our affairs that even the smallest increase is going to cost us untold billions of dollars we will no longer have. Not that we're spending our children's money now anyway. But this is why balancing budgets matter. This is why paying off debt matters. If we had no debt, in the province of Ontario, or let's say we were running a $5 billion debt. I think the debt when Harris was, or when the uh, Tories uh, uh, turned the government over to the Liberals, or the Liberals won, was somewhere about 5 or $7 billion is what we were running in the province of Ontario. And they had a plan to pay that off. We're a long walk from that now, aren't we? All right, time for a couple of commercials. When we get back, we'll have more right after this on the Nick at Night Show.
4: of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area, and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613- 738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together.
0: For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Auto Motion. Seventeen years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays, and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity. Try to save the customers some money and headaches. But fix it right the first time. Irwin's out of motion. Thirty-four Cleopatra. Tell them council sent you. That'll make him smile.
1: Now, there were a couple of stories in the news this week that caught my attention. First of all, there is this story about an iceberg the size of Delaware breaks off from the Antarctic ice sheet. So what? It's not the first time it's happened. I can remember the last 10 years. That's about two or three times now that's happened. Massive ice sheet, and it doesn't change a thing. Nothing ever happens because of it. As a matter of fact, I would suggest rather than saying this ice sheet is shrinking, I think is growing. That's why it's breaking off. I mean, look, if you have, if you have, uh, I'm trying to think of an analogy here that would work, and I'm coming up short. I don't think I can come up with one. But the bottom line is this, that the ice sheet is growing, and that's why it's dropping more ice into the ocean. Because as it grows and expands, you put more of it over the water, and it begins to move. Of course, eventually, stress cra- stress cracks and so on. Crack, off goes a great big chunk, and it floats off into the ocean. And that's just the way ice sheets work. As a matter of fact, it's uh, the Antarctic ice sheet is growing in leaps and bounds. Um, so there was that story, which I everybody painted as gloom and doom, and I just looked at it, and kind of shrugged, and said, yeah, so what? I mean, what's the big deal? It's not a situation... Um, uh, it's not a situation where it's a bad idea uh, or, you know, it's a, a threat to mankind. It's just the way the world works. It's nature. It's just, you know, if if people had their heads screwed on straight about climate, they just go, wow, that's cool, and leave it at that. It's a non-story. However, there is another story that got my attention out of the National Post this week. And it's just, it just shows you how deeply indoctrinated and ingrained this Nonsense about climate change. And by the way, um, I really am serious about finding David Suzuki and Al Gore, making sure I park myself in front of them somehow, and demanding and insisting that they sh- tell me when global warming is going to start. I want my global warming. I You promised it. I want it. And I'm not leaving until I get it. Because this year has been abysmal. This is the summer that wasn't. It just won't stop raining. It, we've had, what, two days over 80 degrees? I mean, uh, my wife and I bought a new car the other week, a little Honda Fit. Nice little car. I like bigger cars than that, but it was for her, so who am I to say, right? Anyway, she uh, we got it partly because it had air conditioning in it. And my little Civic doesn't. And when you're driving around all day and going from one place to another, it's nice to have air conditioning. But we haven't had to use it very much. We don't need it. It's just not been hot enough. So out of the University of British Columbia, we find this. To have a real impact, it would take major sacrifice. They're talking about climate change. Okay, let me just jump down here to the article. For one person to have any real impact on climate change, it would take some major sacrifices. Giving up the car, stop eating meat, avoid transatlantic flights, and most importantly, have one fewer child than you had planned according to a new study by a researcher at the University of British Columbia. So why then, the study asks, do Canadian high school textbooks still tell students to do their part by merely hanging their laundry and recycling, especially since recycling, upgrading light bulbs and hanging laundry doesn't cut greenhouse gases half as much as skipping out on a single transatlantic flight? Because it's nonsense! That's why, I hope, it's utter nonsense. This kind of stuff makes me lose my mind. Look, First of all, we are not causing global warming. It's the biggest lie ever perpetrated on mankind. It just isn't true. It's not. What they tell, when they, you know, and I've known all along that this thing is a scam. And the reason is simple. Because what they're telling us the problem is, is plant food. Carbon dioxide gas is the single most important gas on the planet, and without it, we all die. That's what it comes down to. Right now, there's about 400 parts per million in the atmosphere. At 220 parts per million, plants begin to suffer malnutrition, and at 180 parts per million, they die. So how good do you want to get at removing carbon dioxide gas from the atmosphere? The other thing they never mention is that 97% of all greenhouse gases are water vapor, over which we have absolutely no control. Water vapor is detected in our atmosphere by things like clouds, because that gets what they're made of, water vapor. So unless you stop the oceans from, condense, of, of, from giving off water vapor, lakes and rivers from stop evaporating, the rain to stop falling, all that stuff, we have almost zero impact on global greenhouse gases. And this whole thing is predicated on that foundational lie. Okay? So, when you go back to this study, remember, it's based on a lie. So, and they're asking, so why do high school students' textbooks still tell just to hang out their laundry and recycle? Well, first of all, hanging out laundry has a lot more to do with controlling your hydro bill, certainly here in Ontario, than it does with any effect on the environment. Besides, if you hang your clothes in the laundry uh, out on a line, they smell a lot. They smell fresh. And they, um, my wife has a, has a. When we do laundry at our place, and yes, I do some too once in a while, um, when we hang the laundry out, you know, let it dry in the sun and the wind, it smells wonderful. Some people say it smells vaguely like horses, but I don't believe them. Anyway, the point is that these kind of things are not part of the problem. Recycling is another scam. If recycling made sense they would pay you for your recycling. Did you ever stop and think about that? Why is it recycling is mandated by law? By law in most cases. But why do they make you do it? When you go to the store and you buy a bottle of pop, you know, a 2-quart bottle of pop, or let's say a gallon jug of milk. Do you buy the milk or or do you buy the milk or do you buy the milk in the jug too? You don't put a deposit on the jug and then bring the jug back later, do you? And no, that doesn't make any sense. Don't get started on that. But the point I'm making is you buy the package and the goods. They both belong to you. So why then, when you're finished with one part of that equation, do you give the other part away for free? If there's value in it, as much as they say that there is, then let them buy it from you. You paid for it on your end. Why should you not be compensated for it on the other? Because nobody would do it, because there's no money in it. It's not nearly as valuable as they as you think it is. The vast majority of recycled items ends up in the landfill. They never make it to a recycling plant. There's a very narrow market for recycled plastic. Most of most of your plastic products, especially things like helmets and you know and safety equipment, have to be made from virgin plastic. And we're not running out of plastic anyway. So why would we if you're going to take plastic and do anything with it, burn it? I don't mean in your fire pit. I'm talking about in a high-efficiency incinerator. It's nothing but hardened gasoline. This water bottle I have right here is made of fossil fuel. It doesn't look like fossil fuel right now, but it went through a process. It went from crude oil into a thin plastic. They molded into the shape of a bottle, filled with water, put a cap on it, put it in a store, and it got bought. Now, when it was paid for, whoever bought it, in this case, John, I snuck one from his fridge. I'll tell him later. Um, but the the point is, if it was me that bought it, whatever the price of the bottle is, whatever the price of the water is, let's say it was $1.99, whatever it is, some of the price of that goes for the bottle. So why should I give it away for free? I paid money for that. You want it? Buy it. I'll sell it to you. I'll even be reasonable. Give me a nickel for it. And the reason they don't do that is because what ends up happening to these is they end up in the landfill. Nobody can use them. Nobody wants them. But the government wants you to jump through the recycling hoop anyway because that's the politically correct thing to do. As far as I'm concerned, I, I you know what, I, I drink bottled water too. I'll be the first to admit it. But if I'm going to drink water, if I have a choice... Between my tap water and this stuff, this stuff loses. I'll drink the water out of my well any day. It's delicious. Anyway, with that being said, this is all part of this, you know, this environmental indoctrination that we are constantly barraged with. And I grow so tired of that too, that we just can't, we just can't seem to have any kind of ability to engage people rationally. There's so much... Um, emotion wrapped up in the environment. You know, well, if you don't believe in global warming, obviously you hate the planet. Whoever told you that? I just don't think, even if I did believe in global warming, that the arguments presented or the solutions presented are actually do, would do anything to solve the problem. Have you ever seen a strip mine for rare metals that they make solar panels out of? You think the oil sands look bad? Do a little Google Earth search and have a look in China and see what those rare earth mines look like. And you tell me which one's worse. All because you want to sleep good at night. I did my part to save the planet. I'm such a good person. I can sleep now. And off you go to dreamland. You know something, folks? I am all about a clean environment. I like clean water. I like having a land I can grow food on that isn't in, that isn't toxic. And I like fresh air. I think everybody does. But I think we're already there. I think we're already at that point. There's only, no matter what we do, no matter how hard we try, we are always going to make some form of pollution. Somehow, somewhere in the process, you're going to make things dirty. But just like your dishes, there's a level of cleanliness that is acceptable. You want to scare yourself? Do your dishes and then put them under a microscope. And look at all the bacteria that's still there, even when they look perfectly clean. There's a certain level. You see, out of sight, out of mind, right? You don't see it, so it doesn't bother you. It's it's just the way the process works. I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm just saying that if you look at things from a pragmatic point of view, how much cleaner can we make our environment? Yeah, you know what? Even as I say that, I know there are certain areas where we could do a lot of work. About five or six years ago, there was a huge fire at a at a um, tire recycling plant down in in Hamilton. It burned for weeks. It burned for weeks. Because once rubber starts to burn and you've got a mountain of it, very difficult to put out. And they soaked that with everything they could think of. Think of the toxins that ended up in the lake because of that. Because everybody wants to recycle, right? So we got to recycle these tires. Well, let's put them in a big pile and we'll recycle them as we need them. Well, they caught fire. You think that didn't, if we were putting them into an energy efficient, high efficiency incineration plant, there would be no pile of tires to burn. There would be no need to put them out with exotic chemicals that will do who knows what to the human body if you consume enough of it in your drinking water. So don't believe this kind of stuff when it comes to. Stories like this one out of the National Post. I'm not faulting the National Post. I'm faulting the, the University of of uh, U, uh, of British Columbia, who says the biggest impact you can have on, on global warming is having a, one less child. We already have a demographics problem in this country. Our birth rate at the moment, at least the last time I looked, is 1.47. The replacement rate, folks, is 2. You need at least 2.1 children... To maintain your population, never mind grow it. Do you want to know a country that has a population of a a birth rate of seven? It's called Yemen. Now, it's not a hellhole because they're having seven children. It's a hellhole because it's a hellhole. But there was an empire built on the backs when, when... Let me put it to you this way. When Britain had a birth rate of five or six, they were able to conquer half the world and put in place one of the most successful and prosperous empires the world has ever seen. It's not how many kids you have that's the problem. It's believing the lie that's the problem. You can't simply... (laughs) Stephanie, I couldn't agree with you more. She just put up, stop living in a city. Oh, man. Uh, Breastfeed your kids till six or seven? Well, okay, if you want to, that's your choice. (coughs) Anyway, but I'm tired of, of being preached to by people who don't have any kids because I have eight. I wouldn't sacrifice any of them. As a matter of fact, I think I contribute far more to the to the wealth and the prosperity of this fam of this country by having as many children as i do than a family who has one child i'm not putting them down but simple numbers my kids are all leaving slowly leaving the nest now we're going every year or so we're, there's another one gone and the next i think the youngest one is now 12 so within the next 6 7 years they'll all be gone so i will have eight people that I'm responsible for generating in the workforce, working, paying taxes, holding down jobs, spending money in the economy. I have multiplied what I do by a factor of eight. And that is going to have a positive positive impact on the economy. Now, not everybody can have eight kids. Not everybody wants eight kids. There's a lot of people out there, I wouldn't recommend having eight kids. There's some people I know have a lot more than that. But you ought to have at least two. you know which number I think is reasonable? Three maybe four. We got the four so let's try that again just to make sure we got it right. But three or four is a great number for one for part of the and part of the reason is this: you have children who are growing up, and as they grow up, they're going to learn how to be parents before they need to be parents by taking care of their younger brothers and sisters. Hard to do that when you 've only got one child now, parents can raise very healthy well adjusted children in a one child home, but the chore the 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 difficulty level is much higher because you don't have anybody that they can learn from or learn on by you know hands on experience like if you if your son or daughter is nine or ten years old, they can't learn how to change a diaper because there's nobody there to change the diaper for, okay? So the parenting skills have to come later. It's easier learned when they're young and they can and they can find out what it's like to look after a child before they have to have their own. So it's just, I'm not trying to be preachy or anything and I'm trying to put anybody else down. You make your own decisions for what's best for your family. But um, I think that, you know, this whole thing about having one less child is insane. We should be encouraging people to have more kids, then we wouldn't depend on immigration so much because we could have our own, what do they call it? Old stock. Yeah, I love that phrase, old stock children. Okay, time for the last commercial break, and when we get back, we'll wrap them up. We'll be right back after this.
2: Rise Integraspec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete forms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613 835 2600. EMM Group is the authorized
4: Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area, and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together.
1: Be careful. Can't leave my mic on. I might start singing along, and you wouldn't want that. <laughs> okay, welcome to the final segment of the Naked Night Show, folks. Let me just kind of wrap up where we left, where we started off, with this whole thing about uh, respect for our elders, uh, the kind of abuse we're seeing in the city of Ottawa and across the province. I'm not going to uh, pick on Ottawa in and of itself. It certainly has its problems, but it's not alone. There's plenty of places where this kind of stuff goes on. And the fact is that if we don't take care of our elders, if we don't show them the respect we deserve, what does it say about us? What kind of society have we become where people become disposable when they're inconvenient? Now, that's that attitude has been growing for the past 40 years, and the, it's becoming more and more prevalent all the time. It's a trend we need to reverse one of the things I, I like about indigenous cultures is their respect for their elders. Uh, you know they, they have a, a, an attitude where that's where the wisdom is, if I could put it that way. And I think it's about time we took a page out of that book and recognized that just because you're old does not mean you're useless or have no value. You know if we spent more time talking to people who have already done what we're trying to do, we might avoid some mistakes. Because we could talk to them about the ones they made when they were younger. Because everybody makes mistakes and they all learn from them. But it's a wealth of information we're not tapping into. And I think it's a, it's disgraceful the way that uh, a lot of people are treated. I think it's reprehensible the kind of people who would do this. Not everybody by any stretch. Like I really mean it when I call working in a retirement home, angels work. Because of the kind of character it takes... Uh, to treat these people with dignity to to help maintain their dignity and to show them a level of respect. It takes humility. It takes a sense of selflessness. I call it, if I could boil it down into one phrase, you have to have a servant's heart. You have to care more about the individual that you're looking after than you do about your sense of ickiness or about, you know, whatever your personal feelings are about having to do that. You know, set that all aside. Start thinking about the person you're trying to help, not how you feel about wiping an old man's bum. That's a crude way to put it, but I really think that kind of puts it all into a nutshell because they didn't ask to be put in this situation. Nobody wakes up in the morning when they're 20 and says, you know, when I'm 87, I want to be in a wheelchair, mostly incapacitated, And I want somebody else wiping my butt for me because I won't be able to do it myself. That's my future. That's where I want to be. Nobody wakes up and says that. You know, at 20, they don't even think they're going to make 25, never mind 85. But as you get older, one thing you learn is you're getting older and that your body starts to slow down. You can't do the things you used to do, you know. I know I certainly can't do some of the things I used to do when I was a kid. Maybe that's a good thing, because some of the stuff I used to do shouldn't have been done in the first place. So maybe that's God's way of saying, I'm going to keep you alive because I'm going to slow you down. And that might be uh, what's going on here. But the bottom line is, when you get down to this, if you really have that servant's heart, doing this job won't be a curse, as so many people seem to think it is, because it's the only job I could find. Well, then you know what? Keep looking. Because the people you're not serving, the people you're mistreating, have an inherent and a sacred value, no matter what they look like to you. Whether you think they're just a wrinkled-up old man or a wrinkled-up old woman who you know, can barely talk and has to have her food put to her in a blender because she hasn't got the ability to chew and swallow anymore, she's still somebody's mother. She's still somebody's grandmother, and you need to make sure that you treat her with the respect and the dignity she deserves. Would you do it when she was 65 or 55? Well, why are you doing it now? She's the same person. So that's the kind of attitudes we we need to start uh, um, uh, re-entrenching in our culture. It used to be there. The question I have is, where did it go? Well, with that, I will leave you with that thought tonight. Thank you all for participating. Uh, we'll get this. I'm uh, still struggling with some of these phone calls. Uh, we'll uh, work on that and see if we can figure out where that little gremlin is because it used to work and I want it back because I like talking to you guys directly. Uh, with that, I'll wish you all a good night. It will be Good evening. God bless. Don't let anything disturb your peace. And may you have a fair wind in the following sea.
2: That I had I spent it in good company And all the
1: harm I've ever done Alas it was to
2: none but me And all I've done for one
1: And drink a health, whatever befalls. Then gently
0: rise and softly call. Good night and joy
2: be to you all. Of all the comrades
1: that it I had, there's some.
3: That air I had. They'd wish me.